The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground balls. It's more democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Found it interesting, Ty, this story about quarter, uh, f- about uh, Felipe Franks, the Florida quarterback who hadn't picked up a baseball in five years. I didn't even notice that he was drafted by the Boston Red Sox, a 31st-round pick. He signed a contract, a baseball contract. Yeah, league. yeah it was a little weird. I saw that, and that just kind of took me by surprise. And I'm not going to pretend to know every single NCAA, or particularly in the SEC, that plays two sports, but I had... I honestly didn't know Felipe Franks had even played baseball at any point of his career, but yeah, I saw the minor le- or the uh, the Boston Red Sox drafted into their minor league team. I'm wondering, and he signed, right? He did. He just yeah. signed for a he signed a forty thousand uh, dollar bonus. So he what did, is that? He, did, he didn't play for Florida. He does not play baseball for Florida. Yeah. I think he played in high school, uh, and from what I'd read, you know, he threw. He threw uh, about 88 to 89 miles an hour when he was a, when he was a prep baseball player, uh, and after Boston drafted him and they put him on the mound to see what he could do, there he threw 94. I mean, the kid's big. Is he like he six faster? Foot? He threw 94 miles wow. an hour. Isn't he like? I think he's 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 huge. Isn't he a, a quite large? Six foot six, 240 pounds. The notes that I've got on Franks, um, and you know, I mean, you look at his numbers from 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 last year. Uh, Franks, 24 touchdowns, six interceptions, 58% completion rate. Guy's got a huge arm. And you keep hearing that he's got the opportunity really to get much better in the second year under Dan Mullen, who's usually pretty good at working with quarterbacks. Quarterback whispers, many have dubbed him in the SEC based on what he's done with Tebow, Lee, Fitzgerald, ECT. Well, really, and, and you look at that division, you look at the East, they're pretty strong with quarterbacks amongst the potentially the top three teams. You know, we know what Jake Fromm can do, and it looks like like he's put on a nice little nice little show at Media Days. I think uh, already didn't was did I see he's another one of the uh, one of the guys wearing a uh, a bow tie. That seems to be the fashion choice. Uh, yeah. He- these days he, right now? He just walked by, and he garnered a crowd when he was uh, walking by all these tables because he's the most visible guy that we've seen the first two days. And outside of Tua, uh, Delpit was pretty there, – there's a lot of – a lot of people around Grant Delpit as well because of how talented he is. But, you know, the quarterback, that's just always the position that takes up the most attention. Um, as Jake Beckett referred to a couple months back, the most adulation. Like, that's that's the position. That is the position on the football field that fans flock to, that teammates flock to, that the leadership qualities are pretty pretty big. But, yeah, he's he's getting interviewed while walking right now. And he's a, he's a dapper young man. He was in the television series and I don't know if it was on Netflix 
or if it, but this one, he was, he was like one of the best quarterbacks in high school. And I can't think of what the series is called, Phil, but he's, he's been in the spotlight for quite some time. And this is just kind of no big deal. And I, neither of us have gotten a chance to interview him, obviously, but every interview I've seen, he's given pretty delivered answers. I don't know how much like content you'll get out of him, but he seems like he's, he's used to the media and this is no big deal for him. Well, I saw I gave a great answer to a question if he's, if he's happy that he didn't have to look over his shoulder, uh, you know, at uh, a quarterback who's hoping for playing time over him. And he's, you know, they're talking about Justin Fields now at Ohio State. And I think Fromm's answer, if I can remember word for word, it was, I never looked over my shoulder last year. You know, it's, I mean, interesting. And again, this is one of the reasons why I feel like it's just too bad that these schools who were scheduled to play each other in 2020 and 2021, Georgia and Ohio State, uh, you know, did out did the schedule away, you know, about... Uh, they just knocked it off uh, off their schedule about seven or eight years ago. But really, I mean, you look at, so you talk about Fromm. You know what you get out of him. Franks seems to be. I don't know if I'd even say Felipe Franks is a is a wild card. I, I would expect he's going to have a big year. Is the wild card Kelly Bryant in the East Division? Yeah, you know? I'd say that's a pretty good one because we don't know what we're getting out of him yet. Obviously, he had his time at Clemson. Trevor Lawrence took over, but he's a guy that you think, especially under Derek Dooley, could develop. And that's that's one of the things he mentioned when he was asked, why didn't you go to Arkansas? And he, he kind of talked about Chad Morris's system and more of the fact that Dooley, he thought, would prefer, um, prepare him more for the NFL. So I think that's one of those. It's going to be interesting. I, I don't know if I'm 100% sold on that yet, but, I mean, Missouri's projected at 8.5, so... I, I think Vegas likes him a little bit, Phil. We'll see. It sounds like it, too. I mean, look at, looking at Missouri's schedule, they don't even play their first conference game until week four. And then they go to uh, Columbia to play uh, South Carolina. I mean, they only play one conference game for the first six weeks. They even get a bye week in there. Uh, and then it's pretty much all SEC after that. Ole Miss at home, uh, at Vanderbilt. At Kentucky, you know, you could look at that if, if Brian's playing well, and they do have they do have a lot of uh, they do have a lot of talent there. Then potentially they could end up with a few victories. All right, it sounds like Tom's there. All right, Tom Hart, you're joining us. You're with us. How you doing? Hey, I am fantastic. I apologize for my scheduling mix-up. You know, Ty told me one time, and I'm I'm rolling on Mountain Time right now for no reason except that's my excuse. So I hope you'll forgive me. It's not a problem at all, Tom. So, what's the off season like for you? Because you know you, you you're calling you're calling football from August through the end of the season, basketball through the tournament, and then baseball through Omaha. You get about what two months? What's it like for you now? It's um, it's awesome. You know, there's really honestly, Phil, there's no break because I'm leaving this afternoon to go to Philly. I've got Dodgers Phillies tomorrow night on ESPN Radio, and then I'll do a pair of uh, Braves Nationals games Saturday and Sunday on ESPN Radio. And you know me, I love baseball, so it it's it doesn't really feel like work. But this time of year, the summer, it's, it's typically a time to kind of recharge, reset the batteries, and get fired up for football, man, because it's going to be here really, really soon. really is. It is. And how far ahead do you get your assignments? How, how many days in advance do you get to, do you get to start prepping for who you're, who you're calling? Um, you know, during the, during the season, six days, you know, just like everybody else, sometimes two weeks two weeks um i should i we should be confirmed on the first few games 
fairly soon, and that would be Texas State at A&M on Thursday night, Georgia and Vandy the first Saturday, and Arkansas at Ole Miss the second Saturday, and then Northwestern State LSU. All, those last three games I mentioned are all slotted for the um, 7.30 Eastern SEC Prime SEC Network game. So we should have a pretty good idea of that pretty soon. Tom Hart, SEC Network, our guest here on Halftime. So, Tom, you get to do SEC on Saturday night with Jordan Rogers and Cole Kublik. You get to do SEC basketball along with ESPN, and you get to do baseball as well. I know you've worked more, I think, more in baseball, and I think that's where you came up as. Do yeah. you have a, now that you're getting to do all three for ESPN, do you have kind of a favorite that's kind of stood out to you these last couple years? So my, you know, my stock answer, and, I, and this is an honest answer, but the stock answer is I really believe in being where your feet are. Like, whatever season I am in, I am so incredibly invested in it that that's where I enjoy being at the time. And every sport brings something different to the table. Uh, Ultimately... I'm very career-driven. I want to be working the best event that's within my reach, and right now that best event is the College World Series. And I've always been a college baseball fan and a college baseball supporter, so that goes hand-in-hand, and that's really enjoyable. That's probably the favorite event as a big event I've ever worked. Um, College basketball is a ton of fun. I love... I love the up and down of the season. I love the storylines that shift uh, throughout the course of a year. And I grew up a college basketball fan. But there's nothing like football, you know, because we put so much time and effort into preparing for a game. It's funny. I run into, you know, friends or acquaintances, and they say, oh, you're doing a game Saturday. Well, what do you do all week? Well, you get ready to do the game. Like, what do you think? We just make it up? Um, I know Phil can relate to that, but so to, <laughs> the amount of time that we put in for a college football game, I think, would surprise people. And the studying that we do and the interviews that we uh, we do, it's fun for me because there's such buildup to identify a storyline or a key point when it comes to a college football game and identify it before kick and to see that come to fruition. And, and after the game, to pat everybody on the back and say, we got that right. We knew what the key matchup was going to be. That's what turned out to decide the game. And that doesn't happen unless, you know, you put the work in and you put the prep in. So I got a chance to sit in with Bubba Carpenter and Phil during an Arkansas yeah. baseball game earlier this year. It was the LSU series. I want to go back to one of your broadcasts when you were working for Fox Sports back in 2012 with the Braves. Now, at one point, Phil had to go to the bathroom during the middle of the broadcast, and he sprints off. And like, <laughs> it's two minutes to do this. I get 60-second so breaks. Yeah, what do you yes, want? 60 seconds. He sprints off and then comes back, and then Bubba is, like, shoving down, like, nuts and stuff, like, right after the broadcast. There was a an awful announcing clip that caught my attention of you with the burger. Yeah. Go back to that. I had never seen that before and so I'm just like looking at it and it's just like there's they zoom in on you and you just like have the burger right there what happened there and like what was that like when you're like oh crap I'm eating and now I'm on the broadcast okay so I peel the curtain back a little bit um by the way that that thing went viral viral immediately I got texts from people in Hawaii in Chicago in Las Vegas in Los Angeles that all saw it that night because it made the rounds on the local news and then the next night Jimmy Fallon ends up airing it and calls me out by name he's like come on Tom put the burger down so that was <laughs> that, that was fun but it was a plan and it, it was a plan kind of ad lib the folks who run the suites there at Turner Field at the time wanted me to do a hit from the you know credit card company's seats yeah and I said I'll, I'll do it but I'm not just going to talk about how great the seats are like I need to do something with meat to it. Funny or yeah, something, yeah. Pun intended. But yeah, so we're talking about Andrelton Simmons' rehab assignment, and I told the director, I didn't tell the two announcers, Chip Carey, Joe Simpson, I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do the hit about Andrelton. 
Then you cut away for a pitch. Come back to me. Don't tell the guys, but just throw me back on camera. And so they didn't know that I was going to be chomping on the cheeseburger. So their reaction was honest. It's genuine, yeah. Yeah, was just like, what the hell are you doing? Tom, we're, you're on camera. And then I, you know, I, I guess I have some acting chops. I played it off enough to fake it. I, you know, baseball is, is so unique. Whether you're doing a college season or Major League Baseball, over the course of the year, we all want to pretend like every game matters, every pitch matters. It, it really doesn't. Like, there are ebbs and flows. There are games that, you know, players take off. They might have a nick or they just don't have the energy, especially in the big leagues. And I think as a broadcaster, you got to keep your fans engaged and find a fun way to do it. So we're able to do it. You, you hit on something that I love about baseball is you get the opportunity to show some personality. But I feel like you and Jordan and Cole do that already, uh, not just on the football broadcast, but the way you guys mesh your social media around. You know, yeah. you, you and I have worked with enough partners to know sometimes it, it's, a, it's a tough fit. But every once in a while, you get lucky and you are put with the perfect partner. I feel like that with Bubba Carpenter. Yeah. I'm still working on Ty. <laughs> you, had to have felt, you had to have felt like you were placed with these guys and it was lucky. But it, Did it just mesh the way that it seems that it does? It's never that easy. It, it never is. But I've gotten to a point in my career where I've learned that that's the most important thing. And as a play-by-play announcer, especially in television, radio is a little bit different because you're driving the bus. But on television... It's my job to set them up to be successful. In fact, one of our bosses, before we ever started, I said, what do you want from me this year? And she said, oh, it's easy. Uh, make Jordan Rogers a star. That was my goal. That was my director for the entire season. And I said, yeah, as, as far as he's willing to go, I will take him there. And he's taken it and run with it. And I do think he's a star. I think he's, I think he's absolutely wonderful. Um, but it is a point of being deferential to the people that you work with, to putting whatever we all have egos to an extent, to putting your ego in your back pocket. And even when you know things, let the other person look smart by setting them up to share it and to know it. We're all similar, but we're all very different. We all bring something different to the table. But the most important thing is because we all check our ego and we're doing it for the good of the team, we all like each other. And it's very rare at the end of the season. Tom Glavin said this to me years ago when I was doing Braves. He made a quip when we were talking in the booth one day, and he goes, I can't wait for the offseason because that's when you get to pick your friends. <laughs> and <laughs> and you're forced to be around these guys. Yeah, it's a forced marriage during the season. But our football season ended last year, and I swear to you, we had so much fun, and we so enjoyed being around each other. That, And when I called everybody the week after the season, I said, I don't know about you, but I could do another month with you guys. And I meant it because yeah. it's enjoyable because we like spending time with with each other. I learn from those guys. Hopefully they learn a little something from me. We all make each other better, but the bottom line is we want the broadcast to be great. And to be great, you serve the fans, so you give the fans what they want or what they can learn from. And if you're in a it, it's, it sounds weird to think of broadcasting as a service industry, but that's what it is. You are serving the viewers. You are serving the fans, and the customer's never wrong. So if you can serve them and put yourself to the side, then, then you're going to have an enjoyable broadcast for them. Tom, I really appreciate the look inside you know, a broadcaster's mind and, like you say, pull the, pull the curtain back a little bit. I think that's some really good stuff. We'll let you go with that. I really appreciate your time, and uh, let's, let's have you on before the Arkansas Ole Miss game, if we can pull that off. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to do it. And, and let's just say I'm, uh, I love Little Rock, and that was that was a fun game last year that came down to the wire. But I, I'm going to be appreciative to be at a place where the turf isn't concrete. 
Jeff Taylor and his staff over at Jeff's Clubhouse has a fantastic catering service, and they can almost cater up to any size. Give them a call today at 479-308-9123, or check them out on Facebook, or visit online at theclubhousefs.com. Now back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go. Bob, you are the first guest to join us twice live uh, sitting next to the guest. Because you remember the last time that you were in Hoover, we you and I were sitting there in the in the locker room at the baseball yeah, park. Yeah, the Auburn, Auburn baseball team was there. You're, 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 you're good buddies from Auburn. <laughs> yeah, my good buddies from Auburn that we did see again a third mm-hmm. time there in the College World mm-hmm. Series. So uh, we saw you on TV yesterday. Is uh, anybody else that did on the SEC Network asking the questions of uh, Barry Odom and uh, talking Missouri football. Uh, you know, we can get into Arkansas. You know, as 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 the rest of the month goes on. Obviously, they play Missouri this year, and if Missouri. It feels like they're expected as a dark horse in the SEC East this year. And a lot of it hinges on a couple of transfers, Jonathan Nance and more than anybody else, Kelly Bryant. Yeah, a guy that used to be at Arkansas and a guy that, you know, obviously could have been at Arkansas. Chad Morris recruited uh, Kelly Bryant to Clemson. And they tried to recruit him to Arkansas, and um, but yeah, actually I've got a little do a little plug. We got a big Kelly Bryant story in tomorrow's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. You can read all about it. But um, yeah, he was an impressive guy to talk to. I'd never talked to him before, and he had a big uh, crowd around him, and you know talked about how he. You know, really thought a lot of Chad Morris. We just felt like Missouri was the best opportunity for him. And, yeah, I mean, he's got a pretty good supporting cast. You know, good offensive line, some good running backs, receivers, a great tight end. And, uh, you know, Missouri could contend. The big question is, will they be eligible to play for an SEC East title? Because they're, uh, according to other news media outlets, they're supposed to get their uh, hearing with the NCAA later this week uh, to appeal their, post- their sanctions, which include a postseason ban. You sound like you might have a little bit of a sore throat going on there, Bob. Too many questions asked? No, I actually caught, uh, got one of those summer colds before we got here. You know, it's 90 degrees outside and you got a cold. But see, it's not from weather. It's from, you know, germs and, um, you know, I was on vacation. and was, you know, you're around a lot of different people and getting germs. And, you know, going in and out of this, you know, 60-degree air conditioning down to the heat. And I think it all just kind of acts up to mess you up. Nothing better uh, for uh, health than being around, you know, about uh, 200 other people in close quarters. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm already sick, so I, I guess they're probably, I'm hoping I don't give anybody, you know, uh, whatever I got. Talking with Bob Holt live from Radio Row here at SEC Media Days. Bob, you asked Kirby Smart the question about Nick Saban's dominance over his assistants, and I think it was 16-0. and 0 I think that's six- right. The main yeah. thing is it's something and 0. You yeah. never lost to one of them. And Kirby stopped you short. He's like, I'm well aware. And yeah. so I, I wonder, and this maybe this is contingent on when Nick Saban retires, and none of us in this room right now know that, but do you think an assistant of his will ever come back and beat him before he retires? from college football. I think he, you know, he's showing no signs of slowing down. I think he's 67. I'm sure lots of coaches, especially in the SEC, would love to see him retire. But he's showing no signs of slowing down. I expect him to coach well into his 70s. And, um, yeah, i got to believe at some point, you know, Kirby Smart's going to beat him or... 
I don't know about J- Jeremy Pruitt or um, Jimbo, maybe. Yeah, maybe Jimbo because I think he's probably building a monster there at AM. So I think I think if he coaches another five or six years, somebody will get him. If he coaches another couple of years, I don't know about that. Do you have a coach that you see here every year? Obviously, you deal with Chad Morris, you dealt with Brett Bielma, Nudd, and every other Razorback coach. But this is kind of a time where you get to directly talk to these coaches outside of the SEC teleconference. Do you have a guy that you look forward to talking with every single year? Well, it used to be Steve Spurrier, of course. He's actually going to speak here today as, I guess, one of the SEC legends along along with Archie Manning and Herschel Walker. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, the, I don't want to say they're all boring, but, you know, it was a lot more fun. When, hey, Brett Bielema was a funny guy. Brett was always did a pretty good job here. And then Steve Spurrier and, of course, people probably don't remember one hit wonder. Robbie Caldwell, who was the interim coach at Vanderbilt, he was just hilarious. Um, whatever year that was that he replaced Bobby Johnson. Bobby Johnson kind of resigned unexpectedly in the summer. I think so his staff would be held together for at least a year. And Robbie... Um, well, I think as a Clemson now, as the offensive line coach, he was hilarious. He probably was an all-timer. Spurrier was always good, but uh, I like talking to Barry Odom. He's a Mizzou guy. You know, I don't know why he wasn't getting a lot of questions yesterday, but after I asked a few, then he got some more. But I like dealing with Barry. Um, Mark Stoops is, is a fun guy to talk to. I like him. You know, Derek Mason's a good guy. You know, Gus is kind of, Gus is not the most exciting guy. Gus Malzahn, you know, but he's an Arkansas guy, so it's good to get some, some stuff from him. Um, but, yeah, there's there's really not that rock star kind of guy like Steve Spurrier was. You know, there'll never, probably never be another like him. What's your sense of, you know, Chad Morris after it's been, been you know, over one full season, really about a year and a half since uh, since he took the helm? Uh we, we talk about him having all this energy, and you can tell the energy, you know, when he's when he's on camera. I don't know, you know, what sort of what sort of depth you get to answers, you know, sometimes from from Chad Morris. It seems to me there are moments where he really does try to play it very close to the vest. Oh yeah, I think that's a lot of coaches uh, today. Um, you know, they don't want to say anything that's going to offend anybody, or you know, be taken the wrong way or shoot up on on uh, social media, but. Um, yeah, I think Chad's getting better, but, you know, I don't know how much he got interviewed like when he was at Clemson, but he was an assistant at SMU. He didn't went around a ton of media. And so the SEC, you know, dealing with the media is a big part of the job, and I think Chad kind of got on the job training last year. And like all these guys, I think the more he does it, the better he gets at it. So, I mean, don't you do, do any of the coaches right now? And could, you could kind of tell. And you felt like with, with Brett Bielema, he looked at it as maybe not his job, but that's something that he wanted to do at SEC Media Days. With with the old head ball coach, with Spurrier, it was just a matter of personality. There was just going to, the way he spoke, there were going to be things that, that stirred the pot. But it doesn't seem like there is a coach right now that is interested in stirring the pot, in, in being that, look at me, we're going to have some fun. You know, you're talking about this coach, that coach being good guys that give you good answers to questions, but not necessarily showing you panache, personality, you know, and that even goes to Saban, too. I almost feel like everybody just wants to ask a question to Saban and and either hide behind something or try to set him off. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, I think coaches are more uptight these days. They're more guarded. Um, you know, because you're not, I mean, you know, you stand up and ask a question, and you're talking to him directly from however many feet away you are. But it's not very intimate, obviously. It's not an intimate setting when you've got 250 people in there and stuff. And, you know, you're not like we're sitting here, you know, talking. Um, 
you know, it used to be, I remember this old Southwest Conference, they'd have, of course, there was a ton less media back then, but um, you'd sit at like a table with maybe six or seven guys and the coach, and it was very informal, and the coach knew most of the guys, and you'd joke around, you'd ask, you know, how's your family doing, things like that. So it, it's a lot different now, so it's very businesslike. Talking with Bob Holt live here at SEC Media Days <clears throat> here in Hoover, Alabama. Bob, we were discussing scheduling early on in the first segment and how Texas A&M, South Carolina, their schedules this year are more than daunting. They have just a tough, tough road ahead of them. For Arkansas, yes, they go to Alabama. Yes, they go to LSU. But they get Kentucky. They're not going to win 10 games. That's the first time they've won 10 games since the 70s. They get Ole Miss, who Arkansas or Ole Miss are likely going to be the 6-7 and seven team in the SEC. I know that it's the SEC West. I know that's difficult. But you also have four non-conference games with teams that went a combined 11-36 and 36 last year. Arkansas schedule really isn't that bad. I know it's, it's year 200 Chad Morrison and they're not fully ready yet with the scheme, his personnel and whatnot, but this schedule this upcoming year, I, it's really not that difficult if Arkansas can get out to that 4-0 start. Yeah, I thought you meant Arkansas wasn't going to win 10 games. So I, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the same page with you there. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is the West is tough um, and you know, Missouri's been a good program. Uh, the Arkansas fans don't seem to want to acknowledge that. Missouri's kind of had Arkansas's number, but yeah, I mean, Arkansas is obviously trying to come from up from the bottom, and so you don't need to be playing. You know, um, I mean, they were supposed to play Michigan. Honestly, it's probably good they're not playing Michigan. But I think that they should definitely win those four non-conference games. Any SEC win is going to be tough for them. I think, you know, that early game against Ole Miss, that's going to be pivotal. If they could find a way to win that, that would give them a lot of momentum. You know, I think they could maybe win at Kentucky. Mississippi State uh, in Fayetteville might be winnable. But any SEC win on Arkansas is going to be very, very tough because you're talking about a program that's, you know, 1-15 in 15 the last two years in the league, you know. Bob, appreciate you stopping by with us. Take care of that voice, and uh, we'll talk with you next week. Okay, you guys take care. Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you. Just a couple of moments when he's done with his interview with Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, the guy who refers to himself as the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, who's a radio host on 680 The Fan in uh, Atlanta. And also Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, uh, joining us here in hour number two. Uh, we had meant to get to a quick topic at the end of our number one tie. Uh, it come out that there were some pay raises announced. I don't know if they necessarily announced, but they were found out about, uh, thanks to the FOIAs. Uh, there have been uh, pay raises given to uh, Barry Lenny Jr., seventh year as Arkansas's longest tenured assistant coach, and a raise of $15,000. He'll make $365,000 per year. And, of course, he also took on the job of special teams coordinator as well as being the tight ends coach. Second-year receivers coach Justin Stepp received, uh, received an increase of $50,000. He's up to $400,000 per year. And uh, the 10 assistant coaches at the University of Arkansas, $4.915 million total uh, for salaries for Chad Morris's staff. All right, we do have right now Chuck Oliver, radio host uh, in Atlanta on 680 The Fan. Find it funny, Chuck, you refer to yourself as an Emmy loser on your uh, Twitter profile. 
So something to be proud about there. Thanks for coming on with us. I know it's busy. You just finished an interview with uh, with Jeremy Pruitt. So it's it's like uh, you like got to be like a pinball, you know, from one interview to the next at uh, at Radio Row, right? Absolutely. And I apologize for having y'all waiting, but uh, you're right. I was talking to the Tennessee head coach, and um, yes, Emmy Loser. Um, and and I'll go ahead and 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 you know clear up any misconceptions. Uh, the nomination is not the real prize. Whenever you hear somebody say, "Oh, the real honor was not being nominated," no, the real honor is winning. Okay, so uh, yes, I'm a four-time Emmy loser. So that's not nothing, is it? That, that, that's not nothing. You don't get anything for it, I guess. But uh, it's definitely it's definitely not nothing. So let, let's talk let's talk Tennessee briefly here. So, uh, there's a sense that uh, Tennessee might uh, should improve, maybe improve upon a five and seven season. Two and six in conference. It's the second year for Jeremy Pruitt. Why will Tennessee be better than they were last year? Uh, I can tell you one reason that that would almost guarantee that if Trey Smith is going to play football this year. Um, I mean, you take this as big picture as you want to. I think Trey Smith is the best player on the Tennessee team. I think Trey Smith is the best offensive lineman in the Southeastern Conference. I believe he would be the first SEC player at any position drafted in nine months from now. That's how dominant Trey Smith is as a left tackle. And you know what the NFL values. The guy who throws the ball, the guy who hits the guy who throws the ball, and then the guy who protects him. That's how you win on Sundays. That's it. Pass rusher, left tackle, quarterback. Trey Smith would have been the first SEC player off the board. I asked Jeremy Pruitt about that. He says, we still don't know. They start practice in two weeks, and he says, the best player on the team, we just don't know. My follow-up was, all right, well, there's still some blue sky there, not Trey Smith, but you have two five-star incoming true freshmen, Darnell Wright, a kid out of West Virginia who was not there for the spring, and Wanya Morris, who was one of the most highly recruited offensive tackles in America, who did show up early. There is a scenario where Tennessee starts the season with true freshmen, 18-year-old kids, at both tackle spots. That's how you can get back to a bowl game if they're really good. It's not how you start competing for a division or beating a team like Georgia. I guess you find out a lot about Tennessee, you know, week four and week six. They get the bye week in week five, but they get Florida the, the fourth week of the season. They get they host Georgia week number six. By that point, you'll have a sense whether or not Tennessee's got a chance to rise this year. Yeah, and they could beat Florida. Absolutely. Um, you know, I like what Gordon Tano can do. But it's like every coach. You know, Pruitt, his word is consistency. I just need to see it every day. You know, the Auburn game last year, a great example of what's possible with Jared Gorantano. But there are 11 other Saturdays. And so he went on the road against a really outstanding defense, and he put up a, a highlight tape. And then there were 11 other Saturdays. He's a tough kid. He's athletic, et cetera. Um, they can get to a bowl this year, uh, but it's not going to be Jared Gorantana running the football or taking the majority of the hits like he seems to do. He's an athletic kid. He can extend plays, but sometimes he puts himself in harm's way. He needs to understand that you know Chandler and Jordan and all the biggins on the outside and all that, he's got a lot of options and get the ball out. You snap it, you throw it, you get it out. Talking with Chuck Oliver, 680, the fan out of Atlanta here on Halftime. Chuck, you, you do your show out of Atlanta. It's one of the most fertile, if not the most fertile, recruiting base in yep. the SEC, not only in basketball, but, I mean, not only in football, but it's basketball as well. If you're Georgia, we always have the discussion, what's the best job in the SEC? I know you got the likes of LSU, Alabama, but Georgia Tech's, an, I think, an afterthought. That's it. You could probably speak more to it, but is Georgia between Alabama and LSU, I would say those probably three, is that the best SEC football job in this conference? Uh, depending on who you are, it would be Alabama. But, I mean, I don't want to be the guy following Nick Saban. It's okay being the guy following Mike Shula. That worked out all right. But you don't want to be the guy to follow Nick Saban. So while it is the best program, I don't know that it's the best job, not for whoever is next. Um, if you want to say, George, and you bring up a great point there, the fact that 
there is nobody across state that 365 you got to swing sledgehammers at. Um, you know, even with Gus Malzahn, I've talked before that there's no coach in America, and there are no excuses acceptable. All right, you got to do your job. That's the bottom line. There's no coach in America that has to has to deal with the the psychological beatdown of existing in the same state with Nick Saban every day like Gus Malzahn, but it's the same thing. I mean, Gus Malzahn's a little bit of a thorn in his side from time to time. When you don't have that element in your state, the giant rival, the, you know, it's Godzilla and Rodan, no, it's just Godzilla, um, then it makes it a lot easier on you. Uh, even Kentucky and Louisville, they have their pillow fight up there most years in recruiting, um, but Still, what's going on across the state always impacts you, and in Georgia it really doesn't because Georgia Tech is is the little brother to Georgia. So we were speaking earlier on the show about how you don't have to win the West, and there's still a chance. Now, it's not the most likely, but there's still a chance that you could go to the college football playoff. I know the Pac-12 really hasn't been a consideration these past couple years. Big Ten's been left out, I think, the past two years, and we're seeing Bill Hancock walk by these halls. Do you foresee the college football playoff lasting as a foursome through its contract, or do you think it's going to be expanded before then? It'll last through the contracts, and the reason I want to say that is because, um, if you look, it's funny, because everything other than the playoff contracts are giving me the idea that, that that's what all of college football is being based around. I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the gaps here. Saw last week, we saw an announcement from the ACC. They've extended their bowl contracts, and they've signed new ones. They all go for six years, uh, beginning next year. Um, you look at, like, UConn exiting their conference, the conference response, well, we'll see what we want to do in five or six years. Everybody is timing this out to 2024, 2025, when the current 12-year contracts for the playoff expire. I don't think it's playoff expansion in six years. I think it's another round of conference realignment and expansion in six years. Interesting. Another thing, look at all these home-and-home series that are being signed. When are most of them? After 2025, 26, 27, et cetera, because that's when all of college, when the current 12-year contracts of the playoffs expire, that's when the landscape of college football is going to change greatly, um, and it's going to be too late to up your schedule. Then it's going to be too late to schedule a game with Michigan State and UCLA and Florida. Uh, you've got to have done that now, and so that's why all the programs. You look at all those contracts; the majority of them are for five, six, seven years out and beyond after the, the, the new order of college football happens. So, Chuck, I know you got to go, but I want to just, I guess, if there's an addition to the SEC, if you had a pencil in two teams, if you're a betting man these six or seven years, what two teams do you think would be added to the SEC if you could put that on? All right, I'll tell you that what I was told from um, an SEC official, and this is, you know, two or three years ago, um, so it obviously could have changed, and we're talking, you know, five, six years out, that the SEC – does not have an interest in expanding into a state where they already are. So that means not not FSU, not Texas, whatever. So that means the state of North Carolina and the state of Oklahoma would be my two most likely candidates. But, again, that's an opinion I got uh, 2017 from somebody in Birmingham. So, I mean, Lord, it could have changed the very next day. Two years later it could have changed. But it was an interesting viewpoint from the folks down in downtown Birmingham that if we're already there, well, we're the SEC. We don't need more. We're good. Any chance you think the Big 12 goes bye-bye? Because we kept hearing, we'll let you go with this, we kept hearing there's the chance of four super conferences, which means one of them's got to go. That would be the Big 12. Do you think that, that could be a scenario? 
Uh, it, it really could be, and it, it would be actually the least surprising because um, they've already done this really recently. The old Southwest Conference sort of probationed themselves into uh, yeah. into no, not existing anymore. Uh, and even you look at the, the, the kind of comings and goings within the Big 12 itself. They originally told TCU, yeah, you don't get to ride the bus. And then they came back years later and said, hey, y'all want back in? Uh, so it's been kind of an evolving um, uh, sort of tale in the Big 12 as well. Chuck, appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for stopping by. Have a great rest of your trip to Hoover and uh, safe travels back to Atlanta. Brother, I appreciate y'all inviting me. Thank you. Anytime. Absolutely. That's uh, Chuck Oliver. He is a uh, radio host in Atlanta. You can hear him on 680 The Fan and apparently does six hours of radio. So, and I'm telling you, out, man. Six hours and six minutes. Yeah, and that's an, that's an oh, every weekday theme. I know you go through stretches during baseball season and even during women's basketball where you're constantly on the air at some point. But you think about the grind that he has to go through every day where he's doing a college football show from 11 and 1 and then an Atlanta sports radio show, which we'll, we'll touch on some college football stuff from 3 to 7. I mean, that is, that's some day in, day out. That You talk about prep. We were just talking with Tommy about that with refereeing. We were just talking with uh, with Tom Hart about that when it comes to, to prepping for a game. Like, it takes him the entire week. Like, think about how much time he's spending on a day-to-day basis just prepping for a show, watching the games, like looking up stats, just doing all that sort of curriculum stuff that you have to do so you don't sound like an idiot for six hours on the radio. That's tough work, man. I find the conversation, and I know it's something that he thinks will happen in 2024. I mean, so you're talking five years off. But this conversation about about maybe not a playoff expansion, but a an expansion of the leagues. That's I wild. Think this, this is fascinating, and I think when he points to the evidence of, and I, you keep you keep hearing about these, and I don't have the list in front of me, but these 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 exciting series that have been scheduled by these teams. And you're thinking, well, why are all of them so late? You know, you're looking to 2026, 2027, 2028. And maybe we're thinking, you know, everything is scheduled four or five years ahead of time. That's why these games are scheduled for late in next decade. But it does seem to make sense that if you are going to have these giant super leagues, if that's what, if that's the direction college sports is going in, you're going to have more conference games. And non-conference will be more difficult to schedule. I just this is this is fascinating, and I also, I mean, I was looking back at my my map of the United States here just to get a picture and see what would make sense for the SEC to expand. And I know Greg Sinke yesterday at his comments, somebody asked him about realignment and the opportunity. Perhaps he said, "Well, that's at the top of the cupboard in the kitchen. Nobody's thinking about that now. You would have to realign if you expand by two more schools." And I do think I, I do think you'll see now. The ACC is a stronger league than the Big 12. They're starting their own network this year. The money will be rolling in. Uh, The Big 12, to me, seems like the endangered species here. Yeah, and that's kind of what people have been looking to for quite some time. Will the Big 12 survive without Texas? And it's dead without Texas. And can survive without Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and had to bring in TCU and stuff like that. Tommy, I, I want to bring you in on this because we had a conversation, I think a couple months back, on the morning rush with you and John. And John and I, we don't have the business like Kingston's. Like, he graduated with communications. I graduated with a journalism degree. You obviously come from a business background and the general manager from our station. And you always touched on the reason Missouri was added and the reason Texas A&M was added because you got into Texas. You got in those big markets like Austin, like Dallas, and, and Houston. And then for 
Missouri, St. Louis, and Kansas City, I think Chuck brings up a pretty good point that you've often made reference to, that television markets are what the SEC is sodding after, and it sounds like they may be doing that eventually down the road with potentially North Carolina, and I guess Oklahoma City is one, but I guess you could pencil that as one as well. Well, let me let me give you an analogy I know that will be near and dear to your heart. Let's just say me and you and Phil go out and have a pizza. Mm, I like gonna, this already. We're going to get a 14-inch pizza pie with all the toppings you want, and it's going to be cut into nine slices. So three for me, three for you, three for <laughs> Phil, right? This is math class. I love this. This is this is a promo. Like mark the, like I'm marking this down. This this will be a promo. All right. So now we want to invite John, but we got the same 14 inch pizza with the. Now we got to cut it. We got to cut the slices smaller, right? Because we got to make room for John because the pizza didn't get any bigger. Tommy, you got to you got to keep in mind here. We're talking Ty Richardson. The kid's got know, enough what, space in his stomach for three pizzas. I, yeah, you didn't give me a pizza for myself. That's messed up, Tommy. But that's why I made it a pizza analogy for you. I knew, <laughs> I knew this would would really sink in with you. And that's I mean, what the league had to avoid in 2012. Is you didn't want it. You already getting 25 or 30 million dollars, whatever it was, per school at that point. But you had to grow the pie. You had to get two pizzas, not one, because you were inviting Missouri and Texas A&M to the pizza party. We didn't want to cut the slices smaller because then the existing 12 schools were going to get less money. So how do you do that? Well, more TV revenue. Well, bringing in two more schools doesn't mean ESPN, CBS, and all the TV partners are going to pay you more. They need more markets. They need more expansion. And as the SEC network grows, that's exactly what all these all these leagues are looking for is more markets to claim to make their footprint from a, from a television revenue standpoint, more valuable. That's and, what, boys, and Chuck's exactly right. They won't be looking to add Florida State or Miami or or bring Clemson into the league. That doesn't add anything to make the pizza pie bigger. It would just make the slices smaller for the existing members. And nobody's interested in getting a smaller check when they hand those out with conference distributions. North Carolina, an SEC powerhouse in basketball, just it rolls right off the tongue, right? And I know. Well, I just you got options in the state of North Carolina if you're looking for a university there. I mean, you got NC State. There's Wake Forest. There, you know, not like Wake Forest sounds like an SEC Duke. team that's more Vanderbilt. Duke isn't in that. You know, and I I would not. I don't think I'd I'd see North Carolina leaving the ACC or really any of those schools in North Carolina. Let me give I you a name. I think what you're targeting is Oklahoma. Let me give you a name you, I, though. What's that? Let me give you a school that I think would, would be a good fit and bring a television market that's worthy of, of looking at. Virginia Tech. Good old Blacksburg, baby. Well, well not the I Blacksburg mean, market. They bring the Washington, D.C. and that whole Virginia market that, that's tied into the D.C. market. You're looking for bigger markets that matter. That's why A&M made sense. They brought, as you said, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas with them. Missouri, not the best football school, not the best basketball school in the world, but they brought Kansas City and St. Louis and Springfield with them. Those are the things that matter when these when these executives are really making decisions on 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 what matters and how much money the leagues get. You're looking for schools that add add real value to your TV contracts. I think Oklahoma does that. I mean, you get Oklahoma City mm-hmm. and the idea that uh, you also get a chance to, to you know piss Texas off a little bit more by <laughs> by ripping their their main rival out of the league that they that they're holding together with duct tape. Oklahoma yeah. is a national brand in football, and that's what yeah. helps them because the Oklahoma City and Tulsa markets are not huge TV markets, but Oklahoma has a national brand about them. 
How about, boys, how about the idea of the SEC Network headquarters being based in Charlotte? Do you think that would have any effect on the – and I know that the SEC and the SEC Network are not synonymous, but obviously there's some tie-ins there. Would that have any effect on the decision-making if they were to add a North Carolina school, you think? I doubt that. I mean, I, I always found it odd, but it makes sense when you look at the strengths of what Charlotte is. And it's not the size of Atlanta, but it's got its own, you know, its own – uh, its own real thing going on, and I think that the idea also that ESPN already had a satellite office there in Charlotte. I think that's why they they, they, they kind of chose that. I still think North Carolina might be a, bit, a little bit of an odd fit in, in the SEC. This is all stuff, by the way, that <laughs> we're talking five years off, and we're speculating on. It's never, it's not come out. There's not been an official update or anything. We're just at this point speculating. But it's a good point because I think because what Chuck brought up, and I think he kind of opened up our eyes a little bit. We're we're all. We're held on this idea that it's it's just about the college football playoff. That's what everything's lining up to, the possible expansion. He kind of was like bushy and wide-eyed and was like, hey, no, no, don't be looking here when they want you to look there and be ready for this to happen because it's probably going to based on the scheduling down the road. Listening to halftime with Phil Elson and Ty Richardson. And he's on in place of the injured Ryan Mallett, and he has been brilliant. 12 of 13. Devlin's caught one down. Whoa, what a rope. Oh my goodness. Joe Adams. There's not a backup in the country that can throw a ball like that. Welcome back on Halftime, ESPN Arkansas, hitthatline.com. Ty Richardson's live at Radio Row. I'm Phil Elson, and we've got uh, Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl joining us. He is the executive director of Reese's Senior Bowl and uh, also an ESPN NFL draft analyst, four-time NFL champion uh, as a longtime scout. So I guess, Jim, first of all, thanks for joining us today. You must be doing some scouting, which basically describes your entire job even as the executive director of the senior bowl would that be accurate uh yeah for, thanks for having me on yeah doing a, the, the scouting is done well that's the reason we're up here kind of uh, you know been watching the tape since march since our game was over um through the spring and now i'm re- really in recruiting mode right now which i've never been in my life i never worked on the college football side um, you know, in the in the in the NFL, you're just evaluating, and you get to pick the players. You don't have to recruit the players. So that was uh, that was one of the great things of working in the NFL. You didn't have to do the recruiting, but yeah, just up here trying to meet some meet some of the guys and um, a little face to face time with them before the season starts. So when you say that you're doing recruiting, you're you're recruiting players for the Senior Bowl. It's essentially the same idea as coaches trying to recruit players to their program. Is that the case? Yeah, correct. So we uh, you know we got some marketing materials we put together for them so they can leave here with something in their hand and, and know a little bit about our game you know just uh we need it we need to build off a really good year last year we had 10 first round picks and uh 93 players drafted so those numbers were were way up from where we've been and uh it's a big year for us because now we have that to sell sell to this year's class double digit first rounders since 2011 first time since then right yeah and uh yeah since 2011 and, and there was only 56 juniors in that draft and this year there was 144 so it's getting harder and harder for these seniors to you know guys that reach their senior year to be first round picks first of all because most of them you know most of the great players 
players leave as as juniors, unfortunately. So yeah, we're we're proud of that number that we we were able to get double digits with uh, so many juniors flooded the draft. Jim, I know it's different, but with college basketball and college football, I think when NFL or excuse me, NBA GMs, managers, and scouts they look at juniors and seniors on the basketball side of things. They they don't look at them as good. They like oh, this guy had to stay three or four years in college. He's not as good as a freshman or sophomore. When scouts, GMs, and owners in the NFL look at guys, particularly at your bowl as seniors, how do they compare that to guys who are juniors that make that jump to the NFL just as their junior year? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I brought up the number 144 last year. I mean, out of that 144, I think there was 90 drafted, so we're talking in the 90s somewhere, so we're talking roughly 50 guys came out and didn't get picked. Um, you know, and of that number, really, in the NFL's eyes, if you're a top two-round pick, two- or three-round guy, I mean, that makes sense. I, You know, especially considering some of the circumstances these kids come from, and they got to provide for their families. So the league the league gets that part of it, but there's just so many that are leaving early that, that have no business doing it. Um, and, again, it hurts college football. It hurts their team. So, um, no, I mean, you gotta, you got to evaluate every player individually, but – but yeah, it, it you know they want to see guys with a track record, especially quarterbacks. You know, last year you had Kyler Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins both come out as one year starters, and uh, that's that's less than ideal. You know, because it's just not a big body of work for those guys to evaluate. You and I had a conversation yesterday before we were, came on today, and you mentioned the first name you mentioned to me for Arkansas was Drake Greenlaw. He had a pretty good Senior Bowl last year, drafted by the Niners. How do you think he projects as long as he can stay healthy? Because that was a a bad part for him throughout his college career. How do you think he projects as an NFL player? Yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about Dre, and that's why we felt good about inviting him to the game, is, you know, our goal is to have everyone drafted. And, and I knew Dre was going to get picked just because of he projects to be a really good special teams player. And uh, if you can't, you know, just to get – very few linebackers are going to get drafted to be starters. So, like, this year, Devin Bush from Michigan, Devin, Devin White from LSU, those guys will step on the field right away. But, you know, really beyond those two guys, these guys are going to come in in special teams roles. So we knew Dre's going to do that. And then, you know, his ability to run and hit and the speed factor that he brings, he does have upside to be a starter, you know, down the road for the Niners. But um, he'll, he'll – the big thing about the NFL is, do they dress on Sundays? You know, you carry 53, you activate 45. He'll be on the active roster every Sunday. So you brought up a guy from Michigan. I know you're a Michigan alum, Jim Harbaugh, heading into this year. No no Urban Meyer. Now, I know they got to go to Ohio State. We'll see what happens with Ryan Day and that squad. Shea Patterson coming in could be a Heisman Trophy contender. What do you like about your Wolverines and possibly getting to a national championship this year? Well, it scares me a little bit because I'm watching their defense right now, and there's, they lost so many good parts off that defense with Chase Winovich and, and Bush and Rashawn Gary. I think they had... I think they had four players go in the first couple rounds on defense. So, no, but like you said, they do return a lot of parts on offense. Um, they, they should be pretty explosive. And then, you know, at Ohio State, I mean, they, yeah, they lost Urban. I think Ryan Day's a really good coach. And, and Ohio State's almost like an SEC program in the, in the sense that they just, they're just reloading. They have so much talent up there in Columbus. Um, and, you know, it, they're hard to get guys for the Senior Bowl because all their guys leave early as juniors. After That's juniors. why, I mean, they're almost like an Alabama program up in the Midwest. But that should, you know, the Big Ten Conference is going to be pretty strong. I mean, behind the SEC, I think they're the second best league this year. Um, but it should be competitive. It should be competitive. Uh, where'd you win your Super Bowls, Jim? I won uh, one in Green Bay, two in New England, and one in Seattle. Yeah, I got real lucky. I was with some good quarterbacks, Brett Favre, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson. I I was pretty fortunate. And then there was four years squeezed in there with Kansas City where we, we didn't really have that guy. So, um, 
that's why I lost my job in Kansas City. <laughs> your, your job in the NFL, your job is pretty much tied to the quarterback position. So um, I, I, I got lucky for a lot of years being with some good ones. Well, we'll let you go because we're about out of time here, but we're going to click on your follow button here. I understand you've only been on social media for less than a year, and you already have almost 28,000 followers on Twitter, so you must be, you must be giving some pretty good information. Well, it was a huge part of our success this year in the game in terms of connecting with the players and recruiting them, right? And I'm a 45-year-old middle-aged white guy, and I'm getting on social media for the first time in my life. I don't know what I'm doing on it, but it, uh, it definitely helped connect with the players. Hey, thanks for coming on with us. Enjoy Hoover. Okay, thanks a lot for having me on. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.